The Rebbe begins the Sikha mentioning the oft-repeated teaching of the Shalom, that all the festivals throughout the year, even the rabbinically determined festivals, have a connection to the portion of the week in which they are celebrated, which tells us that the Chag HaGeula, the festival of redemption of the previous Rebbe, the Rebbe's father-in-law, on the 12th and 13th of Tammuz, that day when there was a true and complete redemption from his Soviet imprisonment, has an inherent connection to the theme of the portions of Chukas and Bolak. And there are three factors here. One is the connection to the portion of Chukas. The second is the connection to the portion of Bolak. And the third, the connection to both these Torah portions as one, because as discussed often, when two portions are joined and read together in one Shabbos, the connection between them is such that they become as one portion. There are seven divisions, seven readings of the two Torah portions, and there's one Haftorah. It's thus understood that in addition to the individual content of each portion, there is content that is common to them both, which is why they can be connected in this way, and connected to the festival of the redemption of the previous Rebbe, Yudbeis and Yud Gimel Tammuz, to the dual portion of Chukas and Bolok, and to their common content, which are the portions read this Shabbos on the day of Yudbeis Tammuz. The name of the portion of Chukas simply means statute, a commandment for which no reason has been given and is observed only because Chukachakakti Gezeira Gazarti, I said God the Midrash Tanachoma explains, have decreed and established and established a statute and decreed a decree. It is simply God's will. The idea of Chukah, a statute, in man's divine service is the service of self-sacrifice. Mesiras Nefesh, a divine service which transcends the logical brain. While logic can find reasons to observe that which enhances one's existence and one's sense of wholeness, it does not buy into the idea of throwing one's life away before him, effectively ending his or her existence. This is how we can explain why Mesiras Nefesh is not spelled out in the written law in Torah because the written aspect of Torah is a facet of intellect and Mesiris Nefesh is beyond intellect. This precisely is the connection that exists between the days of the 12th and 13th of Tammuz, the festival of the liberation and the portion of Chukas. The tremendous efforts of the previous Rebbe were for the sake of spreading Torah in that country which imprisoned him for these efforts, and he did so with self-sacrifice that transcended logic and reason. He stood alone against the decrees of a cruel and stubborn government, which at the time made leaving the country almost impossible, and he calculated none of this or any of the other dangers involved and forged forward with his work of spreading Torah and Judaism with Mesir Snefesh. The name of the portion, according to Jewish custom, is not Chukas HaTorah, Torah statutes, but just Chukas, statutes. 
because the particular statute of the red heifer discussed in the portion is unique to the other statutes in that there really is nowhere to go with logic or reason in the mitzvah of the red heifer. So much so that even King Solomon, who was wisest of all beings, said he understood all the other statutes but for the red heifer, and he certainly tried, but it was not possible to grasp. This is also why the portion begins with the words, Zeus Chukas HaTorah, in the singular. This is the statute of the Torah, making it sound like there might be just the one, but it is because it's a reference to the one true statute, a complete statute, in comparison to the other statutes, statutes in Torah, for which some reason can be expounded, hence the name of the portion, Chukas, and not Teiras Chukas. While in general the idea of a Chuk is that it's beyond human intelligence, human consciousness asserts that man cannot depend solely on his own intellect and has to observe the Chukim even if he cannot understand them. But that would be in regard to those Chukim that don't completely negate intellect. While an individual may indeed not understand a reason, he doesn't negate the reality that there is an intelligence higher than his, and at that level there is reason. But the red heifer, which is a hook that has no purchase in one's intellect, as it completely negates reason and transcends the inherent wisdom of Torah, is practiced only because one is moved to a state of complete alignment, bitul, with God's will. Self-sacrifice, Mesiris Nefesh, in fact, can be experienced in two different ways. One way is with a calculation, a holy calculation, but a calculation nevertheless, whether or not one is obligated by Torah to sacrifice one's life according to the Shulchan Aruch. This is Chukas HaTorah, observance of a Chuk, or an act of Mesiris Nefesh, as a Torah obligation calculated according to a Torah requirement, and thus limited in some way. The other way is Mesiris Nefesh with no calculations, and this is Chukah, statute. This Mesiris Nefesh is loftier than Chukah Satira, and flows from the very essence of a Jew's Nefesh, a Jewish spirit. That essence is loftier than Torah, as the consideration of the Jewish soul preceded everything else God considered creating, including Torah itself. And this essential bond between a Jew and God that transcends even Torah is a level of Mesiris Nefesh that desires to fulfill God's will that too transcends all limitations and calculations. This was the Mesiris Nefesh of the Friedrich Rebbe, whose release we are celebrating. The previous Rebbe's work in spreading Torah and Judaism spread across many areas of Judaism. He sent rabbis and ritual slaughterers to towns that were lacking in such, set up mikvahs and established yeshivas for mature students and haters for little ones and more. But the main decree against the previous Rebbe, for which he was imprisoned, was not so much for the adult institutions he established, but primarily for his devoted work for the education of little children. The Rebbe disregarded all dangers to life and threw himself specifically into this work with the unique enthusiasm and energy 
and was greatly absorbed in this work. It would then seem that there is room to question this work. Why this effort in spreading Torah at this level of involvement, an effort into work that by nature could not succeed? Wouldn't it be more effective to be involved in the work of spreading Torah in circumstances that could see success naturally, not in a way that naturally and certainly placed all the work in peril from all sides? In fact, more curious is how indeed can one put the work of spreading Torah to those who do have an obligation to study just to strengthen the Torah study of little ones who do not have this obligation. Clearly, the answer is that the previous Rebbe's work was a true chukas, self-sacrifice with no calculations, knowing his shlichus, his mission, that he's a leader among his people, the Jewish nation, who must worry for the continued existence of the entire nation, and that continuity is dependent upon the Torah study of little Jewish children. As our sages comment and say, if there are no kids, then there are no billy goats. He involved himself completely with the greatest Messiris Nefesh to build and to sustain Chadorim for the very youngest of children. True, this work did not look like it could have any long-term success. And if this was a calculated Messiris Nefesh with limitations determined by those calculations, then indeed there would be room for this argument. But as the Messiris Nefesh of the previous Rebbe, was a chukas Messiris Nefesh, then no calculations of success, or God forbid otherwise, or if one will be safe, or God forbid otherwise, play a role here. This is all in God's hands. Just as Hanania, Mishael, and Azariah told Nebuchadnezzar that if they will merit it, then God will save them, and not even if not, they will in any case not bow to the image he was commanding them to bow to. Even if they would not be saved, it would not be because Nebuchadnezzar had the power or the choice to take their lives. It's all from God, and Nebuchadnezzar is just a messenger to fulfill what God wants. This level of Mesirat Nefesh, this Chukas Mesirat Nefesh, was witnessed in the Rebbe's work all the years of his leadership in this world, the 30 years of the previous Rebbe's leadership that were divisible into three periods of 10 years each. Around the first 10 years were associated with the work of spreading Torah and Judaism in an atmosphere that was literally perilous. In the second period, the work of the previous Rebbe took place in a land where a great number of our fellow Jews lived, and it was ripe in a vessel for the vast spreading of Torah Hasidus. But there were limitations, which were caused by envy of others, and despite these knowing what his mission was and what God expected from him to spread Torah Hasidus, he labored with great Messiris Nefesh to do so. And the third period was in the lower hemisphere, in America, where there was a philosophy spreading that America is different, and that a Jew cannot behave, God forbid, completely like a Jew should behave. In America, the previous Rebbe needed to stand strong against a fierce stream of opposition and plant Torah and Hasidus in a place which seemed to be unreceptive. As we said, all three of these periods were periods of unlimited Messiris Nefesh, but in each period it was unique in its own way. There is no comparing the Messiris Nefesh of the last two periods to the first ten years 
which were, as we said, a time of literal peril to life. Beyond that, in that period, the Rebbe placed not only his life in danger, but he sent others on missions which were truly dangerous to life. This kind of self-sacrifice, sending others on missions that were perilous, was far more difficult for the previous Rebbe than placing himself in danger. And more so yet, because there were situations when these clandestine messengers were uncovered by the government and were punished with exile and torture. And then the next day, the previous Rebbe had to do it all again, choose the Jew who would be sent to replace the one who had been punished and exiled. On the other hand, the second period was in a way more difficult when it was his own brethren who rallied against him and his work, challenging the way in which he did what he did. This really required yet a deeper expression of Mesir Snefesh. And then the third period required yet a different expression of Mesir Snefesh, when there was need to go against the tide and to not be swayed and dissuaded by those who mocked his work and sought to disturb it. Despite these dissenting voices and individuals, the previous Rebbe did not seek to build his own empire only. He threw himself into the work of including all in his work and transforming the entire country into a place of Torah. According to nature, it wasn't possible that for the same one individual, there would be the same measure of self-sacrifice in all three periods of service. When a person has a passion for what he's doing, his capacity for self-sacrifice is greater than in a different manner of service. How did the Rebbe have the same great expression of self-sacrifice in all three periods of his work? The explanation is that for the Rebbe, the point of Mesiris Nefesh was illuminated from his very essence, and so the entirety of the previous Rebbe's being was self-sacrifice. So it made no difference in which format the power of Mesiris Nefesh needed to clothe itself. In every situation, there was the same essential self-sacrifice. The connection between the Chag HaGeula, the festival of the previous Rebbe's liberation, and the portion of Bullock is that our sages say that Bullock hated the Jews more than any other enemy. Therefore, he plotted to do harm to them, though they were not permitted to take away his land and were distinctly commanded, do not trouble Moab and do not go to war with them. But he could not tolerate the very existence of the Jew. Even after he saw that he alone could not stand against the Jewish people, he put great effort in engaging Bilam to cause harm to the Jews. It was similarly so when the previous Rebbe was imprisoned and then released. The effort of spreading Torah was, as the Rebbe describes in his well-publicized letter for Yud Beis Tammuz, permitted by the government, and his arrest and his imprisonment was a result of lies and slander by those who wanted to take revenge against those who were observant of the religion of Moshe and Yisrael, and they did so against government rule. In other words, they were so intolerant of religious Jews and Judaism that they put huge effort into this, even though this was against the law of the land, just to disturb the work of the previous Rebbe. And just as things turned out for Bullock and for Bilam, not only was Bullock unsuccessful in his attempts to curse the nation for Bilam, 
But the opposite occurred, and Bullock's hiring of Bilaam brought to the blessings that were bestowed upon the Jews, and it was through Bilaam himself, who hated them more than Bullock did, that curses were transformed to blessings. For the previous Rebbe too, those same people who had him arrested were involved in his leaving that country with exhaustive efforts towards his departure. Then there's the connection between the festival of redemption and the portions of Chukas Bolok together and the personal lesson for every individual. In the antagonism that Bolok showed towards the Jews, we can at least find some reason, explanation, as indeed he expresses his fear that now this nation will consume all our surrounds like an ox consumes the vegetation in the field. All of Moab had this fear of the Jewish nation. But there is an antagonism that is Chukas Bolak, a hatred and an antagonism represented by Bolak's hatred that was a Chukah without reason or logic. More so, not only did he have no reason for this level of hatred, it was the opposite of logical to harm the Jews because it was clear he could not succeed. And just as we find in the narrative of Bolak and Bilam, Bilam knew he would be unable to achieve anything because as a prophet who could hear God say, do not, do not curse this nation for they are blessed, he certainly won't be able to successfully curse them. And he says that to Bolak, I can't go against God's word. Whatever God places in my mouth, that is what I'm bound to say. And nevertheless, because of the intense hatred to the Jews, he couldn't help himself and hold back. And he tried to fulfill Bullock's request to curse this nation for him. This exists in every Jew's divine service, as the Rebbe explains in a Yudbe's Talmud's discourse. There is folly in klipa, in impurity, that cannot be fathomed or understood, like lots of behaviors that people have only because, quote, the world does it, unquote. And they adhere to this like some immutable law, such as mealtimes and sleep times, while their set times for Torah study and prayer are either way too flexible and easily delayed, or God forbid, non-existent. And there's no logic for these behaviors whatsoever. It's through the chokas, the folly of holiness, that transcends all logic, as the Rebbe explains in the Mimer, that one can transform the folly of impurity into folly for holiness. This Chukas Bolok experience was the antagonism that the previous Rebbe experienced. As is known, one of the two Jews who had the previous Rebbe arrested wanted to carry the Rebbe's bag when he was being arrested, saying, Hasidim remain Hasidim. My grandfather carried your grandfather's bags and I will carry yours. And this occurred again when in addressing the Rebbe, he referred to him as Rebbe. This is like what the Mitzvah Rebbe said regarding the slanderers who spoke against him and still called him Rebbe. Their own mouths tripped them up, and what they recognized internally as the truth slipped out. Here too, when El addressed the Rebbe as Rebbe and spoke as he did, it emerged from his inner soul, which knew his truth. And regardless, specifically after the Rebbe warned him that his activities against the Rebbe would ultimately end in terrible suffering for him, and indeed so it was, he ultimately was himself arrested by the government and was punished, he still did what he did, and his antagonism was simply unfathomable.
because of the Rebbe's attitude and actions were the actions of Chukas, the Mesiris Nefesh, that transcends all reason and logic, it nullified all the antagonism to the extent that and all your enemies will be destroyed, as we read in this week's Haftarah in Micha. Until, as said earlier, it was those who agitated against the Friedeke Rebbe who were called upon to release him and redeem him. And yet another festival of rejoicing was born, which we ultimately transform the entire month of, which will ultimately transform the entire month of Tammuz to a month of joy and rejoicing, to a month of good tidings, the car of Mamish, literally now.